So if you'd like, you can open up your Bible uh, to Luke chapter 5. I think if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 836. Page 836, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5. And I know we're, we're jumping in midstream here a little bit uh, in terms of what you guys have been walking through as a congregation but uh, maybe to kind of bring us up to speed, you know, my wife and I, as you guys are kind of in a new place here as a church, I think last time I was in Teaneck preaching, now you guys are in, in Glenrock, um, the Lord provided my wife and I a home a couple of years ago, and I'll be the first to tell you, I am not uh, the handiest of men, so to speak. I, I can't fix that many things, usually duct tape is my go-to uh, method, but uh, when we were looking for a home, it was important for us not to kind of get a fixer-upper because I didn't want to... I don't know how to fix many things. And so we got a newer kind of construction home. And I realized pretty quickly, though, even though the home was kind of put together, little projects here and there, there was one problem that had to be fixed very quickly in our home because I was sitting at the, the sink in our, our house, and, and, and as I'm sitting there getting some water, I see a line of ants <laughs> traveling across on a highway <laughs> across our, our kitchen counter. And I thought, okay. Well, I don't know what most homeowners do, but I'll use some logic here. I just smushed <laughs> all the ants in a row, and, you know, it got rid of the problem, like, for 10 minutes, and then they came back, right? They, the trail returned. So I was like, okay, I need to think of a different strategy. So, you know, what do you do as a homeowner? You go to Home Depot, you go to Lowe's, and I buy the, you know, the five-gallon jug of ortho spray or whatever, and I spray the ants, and I spray the door and the corners, and, uh, and the ants, again, they, they were gone. And as I'm doing this, they, they finally came back. And my whole, whole time, you know, with Liz, who's so gracious, my wife, she's like, babe, do you think that you should just call the exterminator? Like Lady Wisdom, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, babe, we need to try more things. Like, I'll, just wait. She's like, okay. And so I go back to Home Depot, and I'm like, it didn't work. And they're like, well, you, the reason it didn't work is you got the contact poison. What you need is you need the stuff they take back to their colony. And they feed it to their, you know, friends, and then it kills them from the inside. I was like, oh, Okay. So I bring that all traps all around the house, and the ants left, and about a week later, they, they came back, and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do, and Liz is like, exterminator? <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll call them, and what happened was, the exterminator comes, and I don't know what they do, if you're an exterminator, thank you, but they, they lay down this, whatever they, and, and, and the ants have not returned, and it's been a glorious thing in our house to not have that ant problem, but I think it's a picture, a little bit of how you and I tend to think about sin in our lives. What do I mean? The way that I try to get rid of ants, right? I just try to kill the ones I see, I think is often our approach to sin, right? We, we see something come out of us in life. We see some behavior. We see some pattern. We, see, we, we hear words leave our mouth and go, oh, no, I didn't mean to say that. And so what do we do? We say, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to try harder next time. I'll just, I'll, I'll hold my tongue. I'll, I'll, I'll work on it next time. I'll, I'll pray a little bit more about it. And what we're doing is, essentially, we're getting at the surface, and we're never getting deep enough to actually deal with the real problem. And my guess is, you know, for, for all of us, we look great on the outside, and, and you all look great. Um, but, but oftentimes, on the inside, we, we carry in a, a story of, of despair or of addiction, or of, of patterns that feel like they're just so entrenched, they go, I, I, I don't even know what to do anymore. I feel like I've tried all the strategies. And what I want to tell you this morning is that as we look at Luke chapter 5, Jesus, what he's going to do for us is two things. First, he's going to show us actually how deep the rabbit hole of our sin goes. 
But he's not going to leave us there because as, as we see the reality of our sin, he's going to offer us a way out. He's going to offer us the best strategy, forgiveness, through Jesus Christ alone. That's why I've termed this the radical forgiveness of God. I'm going to read our passage and then we're just going to unpack it together. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 15. Luke writes this, But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let me pray for our time, and we'll look at this together. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God, uh, the, the creator of all delights. God, the God of power, the creator, the good God. And yet as you see us in our sin, in our brokenness, in our weakness, God, you come near to us to offer real healing, and real transformation and real forgiveness through Jesus. I pray that we would know that, not just on a theoretical level, but on a transformational level this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, three things I think Luke highlights for us about this radical forgiveness of God. You'll see kind of the, the outline in your, in your bulletin if you want to follow along or take notes. The first thing Luke is showing us is that when it comes to God's forgiveness, Jesus is showing us the surprising need for forgiveness, the surprising need for forgiveness. Look back at verse 15, kind of the, the running head start. It says, but now even more the report about Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So at this point in Luke, I know we're picking up midstream, Jesus has basically been on a, a tour of preaching and teaching and healing and ministering to the broken and the hurting. And at this point, crowds of people are following him. He kind of has a, a bunch of groupies, so to speak, and they all are, are, are longing to see what he's going to say next and longing for him to help them. And, 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 and just kind of at the end, when Jesus is ready to, to kind of get away and, and recharge and, and, and be by himself, the scene shifts, and he doesn't get any time off, right? There's no off-the-clock time for Jesus, which I think is, is honestly a picture of what it means to be a Christian. You don't, you don't clock out. Why? Because 
God always places people around us, our family and our neighbors and our coworkers and people at the grocery store that say, minister to them, love them, reach out to them, ask how they're doing. Share your testimony with them. We never punch out, so to speak. And so even as he's getting away to, to pray and to, to recharge, verse 17, the story picks up. And it says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Samaria. So here he is, he's, he's teaching, there's crowds of people, they're gathered around him. In, in fact, Mark says when he had come home, so likely this is, this is Jesus' home or of a family member, and, and people are so packed you know, at the doors that you can't even make your way to Jesus. And look at, look at the scene, verse 18. Luke gets our attention. He says, and behold, right, and pay attention. Look at what happens next. Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. There he is. And they're seeking to bring him to Jesus, but what happens is they can't get him to Jesus. I mean, imagine there were 2,000 people in this sanctuary, and somebody's trying to get to the front of the stage. You, you, you literally can't get to the stage. And so what do they do? They, they come up with this ingenious idea. They say, we can't get through the door. We can't go through the window. We're going to go up on the roof. And we're going to dig through the tiles of the roof so we can drop this guy into Jesus for a front row seat. I don't, you know, you might have heard this story before and go, okay, I've heard this. I, I mean, I, I picture this scene. We're great hosts. So generous. Lavished on me dinner and, and ice cream. and mo- It was great. But can you imagine that if I had shown up and instead of knocking on the door to get to their house, I just took out a shovel in my trunk and started going through their roof. I mean, they'd be calling 911. They'd be like, who is this guy? We thought we knew him. We're not inviting him back again. That's the scene in Luke chapter 5. And I think it's a picture of how desperate these men and, and, and this person, this paralytic is to get to Jesus. Right? They'll stop at Nothing. There's, there's a neediness, there's a desperation. Picture just this man's life for a moment. We don't get a lot of details. You have to read between the lines a little bit. But if you were this paralyzed man, life for you in the, the ancient Near East, you know, first century time frame, uh, it, life was not easy for you. Right? Likely you would have been unemployed. So you would have been financially dependent on other people. Uh, you, you, you couldn't have made your way to the temple by yourself. You couldn't have gotten around. I mean, even in this story, it requires four people to even get to Jesus. You ever tried asking one person to drive you somewhere in town when your car breaks down? That feels like coordination. Imagine having to coordinate four people every time you wanted to get around. Life was hard for this guy. And we get a sense of that as he's brought to Jesus. There's this desperation, which is why I think Jesus' next words, the, the first words he speaks in this story are so surprising. They're so shocking. Look at verse 20. As the man is brought to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, man, your sins are forgiven. Let that sink in. Man, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, I heard you, Jesus. Jesus. I mean, picture yourself as this paralytic. I, I, I hurt, that's great. I appreciate that. But isn't it obvious why I'm here, right? I can't walk. I had to be carried to get to you. I had, didn't you see me come through the roof? That's what I want. That's what I need. And yet Jesus says, man, your, your sins are forgiven. I think it's a surprising message for us to hear because what Jesus is saying is, is that even more than physical paralysis He's saying to this man, I think he's saying to us this morning, we have a greater need, and it's something called spiritual paralysis. 
There's this condition that keeps us from God. There's, there's, this, there's this proclivity. There's this, there's this tendency to want to drift away from God, to do life on our own. Like Peter said earlier, to, to not make God the God of all delights, to find delight in counterfeit things. It's a picture of sin. Which is why Jesus, when he looks at this man, he says, we'll, we'll get to your legs. We'll fix your legs. But first I need to fix your heart. First I need to deal with your sin. Man, your sins are forgiven. It's a surprising need for forgiveness. What does this mean for us? Very briefly, it means, friends, that you can either kill your sin and put it to death or it will put you to death. On your own, we cannot fix our spiritual paralysis. The way we deal with it, as we'll see it unpacked through this story, is that we go to God, we confess our sin, we say, God, I have not lived up even close to what you have called me to do this week, even this morning on the way to church. The thoughts I had, the things I said, the things I did, the glances I gave, would you forgive me? Would you make me new? Jesus shows us our greatest need is forgiveness, even more than good grades at school, even more than a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I know that seems important, and it is, but it's not as important as forgiveness. It's not as important as a, a, a salary increase at work or, or better time management skills or more emotional intelligence so you can kind of pick up what's going on. Those things are great. Jesus says the biggest need we have is to be forgiven of our sin. And so he starts this way. He surprises, I think, us and certainly this man but as the story continues, he, he doesn't just shock us. He actually shows us how forgiveness happens. Look at the story. It, it, it continues. And Jesus, he, he paints for us the cost of forgiveness, how sobering it is. Look at verse 21. Story shifts a bit. We're introduced to a new group of people. The scribes and the Pharisees, it says, began to question. They're seeing all this happen. They're saying, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus, you... You just said, man, your sins are forgiven, but wait a minute, why are you speaking blasphemies? Because we know that only God forgives sins. You, you can't forgive sins just as a, a traveling preacher and teacher. And you know, we often kind of get down on the Pharisees. If you grew up in Sunday school, you think the Pharisees are the bad guys. But, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a minute. They got a lot wrong, but they also got a lot right. And one of the things they get right is they realize only God can forgive sins. They do get that part right here. Now they miss that Jesus is the son of God. But their logic is right. It'd be like this. I was telling the earlier service, right? You're, you're watching the Super Bowl today and I know it's a mixed bag of emotions because the Patriots are playing so we'll, let's just, you know, move past that. But imagine you're, you're watching the game and, and it's, it's late in the fourth quarter. I'm talking, you know, the two minute drill. Patriots are down by two touchdowns. You're like, let's make it three touchdowns, right? It's impossible to come back. And the whole time, even though it's Tom Brady, he's been throwing perfect passes all day, you know, to his tight end, Rob Gronkowski, but Rob has literally not caught a pass. He's missed everything. It's been on his hands, and he just drops everything. And they come back to the huddle late in the fourth quarter. They're down by three touchdowns, and, and, and Tom Brady is so frustrated, he pulls his tight end down by the face neck and drags him to the ground. You're like, am I seeing this on live TV? This is the most interesting Super Bowl ever, right? If that were to happen, can you imagine the referee running up to Tom Brady and saying, guys, guys, calm down. It's going to be okay because, Tom, I forgive you. If you're Rob Gronkowski on the ground, you're going, uh, ref, th uh, that's not how this works, right? 
Tom didn't pull you to the ground. He didn't offend you. He didn't, he didn't push you. He pushed me. The offense has been against me. You can't forgive him. Only I can offer forgiveness by, because I'm the offended party. And the same thing's happening here. Jesus, he looks at this man and says, man, your sins are forgiven. He is telling us, you might not realize this, but every time you have sinned, it has been against me. Every time you have, you have said a, 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 an angry word or, or have become bitter or, or had a jealous thought toward your neighbor's stuff or you looked at that woman or that man in that unhelpful way, that, that's certainly an offense toward them, but it's ultimately an offense toward God who's infinitely holy and glorious. So Jesus says your sins are forgiven. Don't miss what he's saying. The offense is against God. And you know, in our hypothetical scenario, if, if we were to kind of play that out a little more on the field today, um, if, if you're Rob Gronkowski on the ground, you have one of two choices to make, right? You, you can either pretend it never happened. You can walk it off. Um, but in that case, you, you, you're, you're still paying the cost. Why? Because your, your reputation has been tarnished in front of millions, there, there's been a relational break between you and your, your quarterback. There's, there's a debt that's been incurred, and somebody has to pay. Either you can pay it, or you can make Tom Brady pay it. You can punch him back. You can speak ill of him at the press conference. You, whatever it is, but somebody has to pay. There's a debt. And in this case, Jesus says, do you realize every time you've sinned, there's a debt that's been accrued with me, with God. There's, there's been a relationship. There's been an intimacy that's been broken between you and God, and the same is true of us. That's why spiritual paralysis is so extreme and so severe. We can't make our way back to God. Our relationship has been torn in two. But notice what happens next. Verse 22, Jesus, he's picking up on what the Pharisees are thinking. He says, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? And I wrestled with this as I thought about this morning. Which is easier, to, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And I think it honestly depends on your perspective. Right? If you're the paralytic, what's easier? It's easier for Jesus just to say uh, your sins are forgiven. Why? Be because outwardly nothing has changed. I'm still paralyzed. Okay, I'm forgiven. That's great. But what would be harder is if Jesus says, man, get up and walk. Why? Because you've been par you can't, par paralyzed people don't just get up and walk. It's the impossible feat. But see, if you're Jesus, apparently it's easy to, to heal people. Why? Because in, in Luke so far, we've seen Jesus cast out demons, and he's healed lepers, and he's, he's, he's helped the priests. He's healed people physically. It would seem, however, that what's harder for him, what takes more energy, what takes a greater cost, is for Jesus to forgive sins. Why? Because Jesus can say you're forgiven, but for the debt to actually be paid, he had to pay the cost. He had to take sin on himself. He had to accrue the debt that we earned and deserved to pay and say, God, I'm going to pay it down for sinful mankind. In fact, one commentator says it this way. He says, as early as Luke chapter 5, the shadow of the cross falls across Jesus' path. We already get a sense of where this story is heading. As Jesus says, what's easier? Because he knows what it would take to forgive this man's sins. Jesus pays the price so that we might have free forgiveness. Do you see how costly it is? What does this mean for us? A few things. If you are a Christian this morning, uh, and maybe you struggle with joy, you struggle delighting in God. You go, man, I, I, I know I should. I want to, but it is, it, it's hard. 
I want to I ask you, could it be that part of the reason you struggle, I know part of why I struggle, is I forget the depth of my sin. I forget that it, you know, sin is not just an oops. I'm sorry. It's, it's an offense against God. It is, it is like cheating on our greatest lover. And yet God comes and says, I've forgiven you through my son. Do you, do you know the depth of your sin that you can see how generous, how, how deep his forgiveness and grace is? If you don't, I would encourage you, pray that prayer. God, would you show me more of my sin this morning that, that I might see more of your grace? And, and, and if this is true, friends, it means that if, if God forgives us in this way, it means we cannot withhold forgiveness from other people, right? The person, even though it hurts, even though the person might have spoken nasty words about you, they might have tarnished your reputation at work. Whatever it looks like, I'm not saying it's easy, but if God has paid the ultimate price in giving his, his life, how can we withhold forgiveness from others if we say that we've been forgiven? It means that we can start to pay the cost for other people as we let it roll onto Jesus. It's a challenge for us. And I would say this morning, if, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you say, I, you know, I know, I know more about Jesus than I did a month ago, and I, I want to know this Jesus, but I'm not quite there yet. Maybe a question just to consider this morning as you, as, as you leave is, is to say, why would Jesus, if he claims to be this perfect man, son of God, came from heaven to be with us, why would he go to the extent of giving his life through a brutal Roman cross to take my sin? Could it be because he loves me? Could it be because he would bankrupt heaven so that I would be restored to him and, and know what it means to, to live with God and to know the eternal God? It's the sobering cost of forgiveness that Jesus pays. And, and we could end there, and that would certainly be, be, be significant, but I think if, if we stop there, we miss not just the cost, not just the weightiness of it, I think we miss the beauty of forgiveness. Because as, as the story ends, notice what, what happens. This, this paralyzed man, Jesus says, you're, you're forgiven, but then Jesus puts his money where his mouth is. Look at, look at verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. This is the moment of truth. right? Jesus has said, your sins are forgiven. There's been some controversy about that. Can he really do it? Is he supposed to do it? Is he able to do it? And Jesus says, listen, gang, I have authority. How do you know? Because I'm going to do what seems to be greater in your mind to make this man walk. And so he says, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. In verse 26, verse 25, it says, immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Jesus proves that he has the power to forgive because he demonstrates what he said only in, 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 in words he shows in person. That's what I love about the Gospels. He proves that he can heal our spiritual paralysis because he's shown physical paralysis. It's like nothing to him. He gets up and he walks. And you know, there are two things I think that this particularly teaches us. If you want to fill them in, if you're a note-taker kind of person, I include it on the half sheet. First is this, Jesus forgives immediately. Jesus forgives immediately. Notice verse 25, how long it takes for this man to get up and walk. It says immediately, right away, verse 25, there's, there's, no, there's no gradualness to him being you know, forgiven. It's, it's right away. It's demonstrated by his physical healing, which means this, friends, if, if you struggle with sin or you come in this morning and you approach sin like I did with ants and you go, you know what, I'm just gonna pretend it's not there. I'm just gonna live with a few ants. It's not that big a deal. 
Or when it comes up, I'll kind of squish it down and we'll just move on. If that is kind of your approach, but it's, it, it's sapping your joy, it's, it's ruining your relationship with God, or it's causing you to never run to God in the first place, I want to say, friend, there, there's no probationary period this morning. There's no amount I have to feel this bad to go to God. The, the call is to be desperate. And sometimes we need to be carried there. But to go to Jesus is where our hope is. To run to Jesus, his forgiveness is immediate. That's the first thing, right away. But here's the second thing. Jesus forgives completely. It's immediate forgiveness, but it's complete forgiveness. Did you notice as this man gets up, he doesn't kind of struggle to rise. Jesus doesn't prescribe him some kind of, you know, four-month physical therapy stretching routine to say, if you work on this a little bit more, right, next time I'm back in town, we'll, we'll make some, no. He gets up, he, he rejoices, he goes home glorifying God. It's, it's complete, it's full, which means, friends, we learn that from the physical healing, the parallel with our spiritual healing is that when we go to Jesus, our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. Even the stuff that you don't know you will do yet, it's been forgiven. If you are in Christ Jesus, it has been forgiven, amen? Friends, that is such good news. And you might be inclined to say, but Brian... Uh, that's great for the average person. But you don't know my story. You don't, you don't know where I come from. You don't know the kind of stuff I was in before I found Grace Redeemer. You, you don't know the kind of relationship and the stuff that I used to do in it. If you did, you, you wouldn't say that. You don't know the stuff I still struggle with day to day, the addictions that I had that feel like they're still hold on, holding on to me and I can't break free. You don't know that. How can you say it's immediate and, 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 and complete? Friend, I, I don't know your story personally, but I want to say this. God knows you inside and out. And he was not kept back from you when he saw you for who you are. He is drawn near to us. Friends, he came from heaven down to earth to give his life to make you new, brokenness and all. It's immediate. It's complete. Later on, the Bible puts it this way. It says that if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friend, the invitation is open to anybody. God's forgiveness, it's radical, it's costly. And because it's costly, it's free to us if we would go to Jesus, if we would run to Jesus. Jesus is not interested in making us better people. He's interested in making us new people. A new creation. It's the hope of the gospel. Do you see the stunning beauty of forgiveness. Do you see how this is also a call to extend forgiveness when others sin against us in life? As we know more of God's forgiveness through Jesus, it inclines us to extend grace and mercy to others. Friends, I pray that you would know this grace. I pray that maybe if you've never heard this, I'd love to talk to you afterward. I pray that this would lead us to a place of worship even as we end our service, to praise this God who has offered radical forgiveness, a new creation. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we bring in a, a, a story of sin and brokenness and rebellion, and yet you are not turned off by that. You do the opposite. You run toward us, God. God, you're bending over backwards, not just to communicate to us, but to save us. I pray that this would get down deeper, even as we see more of our sin. I pray that we would not despair or sulk or just feel guilty. I pray that we would run to you, that we might experience the radical forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, in his name we pray, amen.